This is our second to last sermon in the book of Acts. Some of you are praising God the Almighty, going, man, can we have one any longer? And uh, my heart is actually kind of mourning the end of the book through, our walk through the book of Acts. And uh, this morning, in our second to the last um, sermon, we are going to stay in chapter uh, 26, one last, sorry, chapter 27, one last time. But it's going to kind of be picking out some highlights. Last week we talked about um, being shipwrecked, our, our faith being shipwrecked, our finding ourselves in the midst of the storm, and how do we respond in the midst of the storm, and looking at that the main character of that story was not Paul. The main character in that section of scripture was God. He was sovereign over the whole thing. His hand was orchestrating that whole process. And it's easy for us to say, let's look at Paul and see how Paul responded. But the thing is that Paul was responding to God. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to stay in this section. It's going to be the whole chapter, but I'm going to kind of, uh, I don't do this much. I'm going to pick a couple verses out of chapter 27 for, or sorry, chapter, yeah, chapter 27, and uh, we're going to be talking about encouragement in the midst of the storm, of the, in the midst of the storm. How do we find encouragement, and how do we be encouragers? Uh, so follow along with me, chapter 27, I'm going to do verses tw- 2 and 3, 21 through 26, and 33 to 36. I'll announce them as I go. Hear the word of the Lord. And embarking in the ship of Adoratiam, there was a ship that, which was about to ship, sail, oh my gracious, about ready to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. We put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Let's jump to verses 21 to 26. And since they had been been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you, to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have, found, for I have faith in God that it is exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Now, 33 to 36. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you, to take some food, 
It will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And they, then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Paul and all of his fellow passengers on this trip to Rome for two weeks were enduring a storm. Not just a major storm by us thinking of Lake Michigan or maybe what some of us have have thought about in our own personal lives. This This is a major storm of two weeks where they are questioning, are we going to make it to shore? Is the ship going to break up? Are we going to be lost at sea forever? And there was great fear. They were scared to death. They had lost all hope that they would be saved. They saw no hope. In the same way, when people go through severe storms in life, often what do we do? We lose hope. We start asking the questions, are we ever going to make it through? We suddenly take on a fatalistic kind of point of view of, man, it has hit the fan and it's hit it hard and there is just absolutely no hope beyond this. My job is not going to get better. My my children's family life isn't going to get better. My marriage isn't going to get better. This situation isn't going to get better. My relationship with this person, it's hopeless, it's destructive, and it's about ready hit. And into this bleak picture, the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul broke in like a ray of light. In verse 22, he urges everyone to keep up their courage, promising that there will be no loss of life. And I'm sure at that point in this story, the people are going, Paul, you have no clue. You are not a sailor and you're, you're just being this eternal optimist that is just kind of throwing out these little hallmarked cards to us and just saying, you can make it. Kind of a Joel Olstein moment, you know? I'm going to start off this, this bleary, terrible day with a great joke. You're all going to make it with a great big smile. And the sailors are going, are you serious? Have you seen the storm? But again, in verse 25, he goes, Take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And again, in verse 33, we read Paul was encouraging them to take some food. And the result was what? They were all encouraged. Someone once said that, said to be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Be kind. Everyone you meet is facing a hard battle. I don't know what your your circumstances are this morning. I don't really know the fear that's in your heart. You might be putting on a really good face. So this morning, my prayer is that you are going to be, you're going to receive encouragement, and you're going to be able to be an encourager. Here's the reality. Those who don't, need, don't yet have Christ, they need encouragement. And Paul describes them as having no hope and without God in this world. 
So we need to be encouragers to those who do not yet know Christ, who have not received saving faith through Jesus Christ. They need to be encouraged. They need the hope that they can only have through Christ, and only Christ can provide. But the reality is that you, God's people, also need encouragement. Discouragement is one of Satan's greatest tools, causing many in Christian service to give up and just drop out of ministry. I've had a number of friends, pastors, even those just working in churches as, as lay leaders who have just said, I'm done. I am just discouraged. I, I've been through enough. Enough is enough. If this is all it is, and I'm not being encouraged, I just want to give up. And Satan is going, I want another. The reality is also our families need encouragement. Right? Our families need encouragement. As husbands and fathers, we also need to set up an atmosphere of encouragement in our homes. The Apostle Paul's experience here shows us first how to receive encouragement from the Lord in the, these storms of life, and then how to pass God's encouragement on to others who so desperately need it. We need to keep in mind here, Paul was not just an upbeat, positive, charismatic person who never felt down. Luke's, in Luke's words in verse 20, they simply apply that Paul, Aristocharis, and Luke felt the same as everyone else on board. That there was no hope of their being saved. Everyone on board was feeling hopeless. And this, this is reinforced by the angel's words to Paul when, when he said, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. If Paul had not been discouraged and afraid, he would not need those encouraging words. But he once, but once he experienced God's encouragement, he then passed it on to others. Before we can pass on God's encouragement to others, we must personally experience it ourselves. So I've got two major points this morning. So what's going to turn out to be a 12-point sermon? Typical of me. I will try my best to keep it in time. Our first major point, we all need personally to experience. We all need to personally experience God's encouragement in the storms of life. Every one of you. Every one of you needs to personally experience God's encouragement in the storms of life. Howard Hendricks often says, you cannot impart what you do not possess. You cannot impart, you not, cannot give away what you do not possess. Does that make sense? So that's like saying in your wallet, I can't give you 500 bucks if that 500 bucks is not in my wallet. I can't even give you a dollar if I don't have a dollar in my pocket. The same is true with experience. How do we receive God's encouragement when we're going through difficult times? Quickly, seven ways. One, we receive encouragement, God's encouragement, by being with his people. By being with his people. 
Paul did not have to face this difficult uh, experience, this voyage to Rome by himself. He was, arist- uh, he was accompanied by Aristocharis and by Luke, two dear friends. In his book, uh, St. Paul, the Traveler and Roman Citizen, Sir William Ramsey argues this, that to get permission to accompany Paul as a prisoner, Aristocharis and Luke would have had to pass themselves off as Paul's slaves. The only way that they could have gone to Rome with Paul is for Aristocharis and Luke to say, I am his slaves. I so, and that says something about the, their desire to go along with Paul. I'm sure they were not getting paid. There was no cash in Paul's coffers. They were, he was not receiving any kind of missionary support from Jerusalem to pay their fare all the way to Rome. These men desired to go journey with Paul to Rome. And how did they do it? They took on the form of a servant and a slave to join him in this path. Aristocharis, he had seen a lot. He was one of Paul's traveling companions who was, who was dragged into the, this great theater during the riot in Ephesus, who was nearly beaten to death. He accompanied Paul on his journeys throughout that region. Later, in writing, to, for, writing for Rome in the book of Colossians, Paul refers to him as a fellow prisoner. A fellow prisoner. This faithful young man was willing to be Paul's slave and to go to prison with him. No doubt, Paul was greatly encouraged by such a loyal friend. Pastoral ministry, even ministry as a a brother and sister in Christ, sometimes is a lonely thing. And we often find ourselves isolated in our bubbles. And we are so desperately in need of receiving God's encouragement. How? From being with his people. We need his people. And even as Paul made his journey to Rome, so just Aristocharis and Luke becoming his slaves, if you will, was one picture. But even as Paul was continuing this travel as as they stopped in Sidon. They put their port there. The centurion allowed Paul and his friends to receive care. And if you look carefully there, it wasn't Paul saying, hey, we got some time here in this port. Let's go stop and see the church over here in Sidon. And why don't I do a little bit of a a preaching gig while I'm at it? No, what what happened there? He received care from them. There are Christians in Sidon that Paul said, let's go to the church. We need encouragement. We often think of Paul as just giving care to others, but he also so desperately needed care. Christians, and I don't know if you like this description, we are needy people. We are needy people to the point where we need each other. And this, and I, w- I want to do this kind of, um, I don't know how I want to phrase this, but what we're doing this morning, right now, is critical. Our gathering together is critical for your spiritual growth. 
This is not my way of manipulating you into coming to Sunday morning worship so that we can have full pews, so that we can have good offerings, so that it looks good to the neighborhood that our parking lot is full. What we are doing this morning is critical to your spiritual growth so that you may be encouraged. We need each other because that is one primary way that we receive God's encouragement. Even the author to uh, the book of Hebrews tells us not to forsake assembling together, not to give it up, but rather to encourage one another. Showing up is for your health. You skip a meal, you start to starve, and you start to despair. And this is where we come together to be encouraged by God's word, by Christ himself, but also from one another. So to re we receive encouragement by being with God's people. Number two, we receive God's encouragement when we remember his presence with us. His presence with us. In this case, in this particular case, it wasn't the Lord himself who appeared to Paul, but it was his angel that appeared. But it had the same effect. It, it reminded Paul that God was always with him, always aware of the trials that he was going through. God knows my exact geography. God has a GPS on me and knows exactly where I am, exactly what I'm going through, exactly how I feel. God is with me. And when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he promised this. Behold, I am with you. How often? Always. Always. How long? To the end of the age. Here Paul experiences the reality of that promise. God's promise. I am with you. He experienced it when he was afraid in Corinth. The Lord appeared to him and said, for I am with you. Paul also experienced it when he was taken into custody in Jerusalem. And the Lord stood beside him and said, take courage. And promised that he would bear witness at Rome. And he would later experience it at his imprisonment and just before his execution. He told Timothy, his son, his spiritual son, that no one supported him, but that everyone had deserted him. And then he added at the very end, but the Lord stood by me. And strengthened me. Each of these experiences of the Lord's presence came at times of crisis in Paul's life. Now, I, I don't think I've ever seen an angel. I, I've never personally experienced the Lord standing beside me and saying, take courage. But I believe that these experiences are extremely rare and the Lord can use them. But I have felt and I don't know about you, I have felt his presence with me in times of great need. And it has flooded me with encouragement. In times when I have just despaired, think that all hope is lost, I've experienced times of God just flooding me with his presence. And even if we don't have these, these literal visions of Christ or his angels, what do we have? We do have his promise. And it should Give us encouragement. Later in his life, uh, the great pioneer missionary uh, to Africa, David Livingston, 
received an honorary doctorate from Glasgow University. As he rose to speak, he was gaunt, he was haggard, he was, he was looking really rough because of the hardships he had gone through the, in the tropical Africa life. His left arm was totally crushed by what? By a lion, totally crushed, and it lung, hung helplessly at his side as he announced his resolve to return again to Africa without any fear, but with great gladness. And he added this, would you like me to tell you what supported me through all these years of exile among a people whose language I could not understand, whose attitude toward me was often uncertain and often hostile? It is this. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of, these, of the age. On these words, I staked everything, and they never failed. Third, we receive God's encouragement when we remember that we are his possession. We are his possession. Jesus, or Paul tells us that these rough men on board, told these rough men on board that he belongs to God. And if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you belong to him. You are his personal possession. You are his. He purchased you with something that is far more valuable than gold, than silver, whatever is found in our Federal Reserve, which is probably next to nothing. You are far more valuable than anything financially in the world. You are purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You have been bought with his blood. You can be assured because of that that you are going to be taken care of because you are an expensive purchase. If you pay a lot for something, you don't just carelessly toss it into the drawer and forget about it. One of the most valuable things beside our house on, on Wood Street here is my Jeep. I love my Jeep. And I freak out. I don't know if any of you dads experience this. I, don't, I know it's not the same in minivans because that's meant to be the place where milkshakes fall all over the floor and Cheerios get stuck to the windows. But when my son spills in my car, what do I do? I flip out. This was a precious purchase. This is, a, this is my baby. How much more, if this is my baby, how much more does God view me as his precious purchase that was bought with this blood of his son? And how much more does that mean that he is going to care for me throughout all circumstances? God purchased you with the blood of his son, and he isn't going to abandon you. That should give you great encouragement throughout a storm. Fourth, we remember God's encouragement when we remember that we are his servants. We are his servants. Paul, Paul calls God the one whom I serve. The Greek ref word refers to, uh, re refers to service to God, sometimes in a nuance of worship. It's used in the Old Testament for priests serving, offering their service to God. And so it refers to a life that is lived with a Godward focus. All that I do is my life is one that is serving God. 
It is a living sacrifice, constantly being offered on the altar for God's praise and for his glory. Every Christian, not just those so-called full-time Christian service kind of folks, should view him or herself as the Lord's servant. Always, always on duty. Throughout the day, we should say, man, through him, I, I continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. That, that, that's all that I'm doing. So if we see ourselves that way as God's servants, we should be encouraged in the, in the storms of life because, because God looks out for his servants, those who are doing his work. I know it's a poor analogy, but if you are a good employer, a good employer, not don't think about your job right now, but think a good employer. A good employer looks for the welfare of not just the business, what he might be bringing in, but he looks out for the good of his employees. The healthier the employees, the better cared for they are, the better the business is going to be. And in the same way, we are doing God's work, his business, just as a company. So even more so, God is going to look out for you. And the beautiful thing is, he has the best employee benefit package ever. Ever. Number five, we receive God's encouragement when we remember his promises. And this is probably one of the things that we do poorly. When we remember his promises, to remember his promises, we've got to know his promises, right? So to remember his promises, we've got to know his promises. And Paul, Paul relates the angel's words. He says, you must stand before Caesar. These words are simply a reminder of what God has already told Paul. This, this is my promise. The word must points to a divine necessity. You must. When God says you must, you know it will happen. He is always faithful to his promises. Always. During uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse's student days in France, he led a young woman to Christ there, and who later married, a, this young woman married a French pastor. And she often came to the Barnhouse home and saw them taking verses from what they called a promise box. It was a promise box filled with verses, and this small box held about 200 promises from the Bible, printed on heavy paper and curled up into little cylinders. And the Barnhouse family would take one out and read it when they needed a special word of encouragement. So this French woman made her own promise box, writing these same verses in French. Years later, during the World War, this French family had no food except for potato peelings from a nearby restaurant. The children were hungry and almost in rags. Their shoes were worn through. And in one of her lowest moments, this woman turned in desperation to the promise box. And she prayed this prayer as she wrote it out. She said, Oh, Lord, I have such great need. Is there a promise here that is really for me? Show me, oh, Lord, what promise I have in this time of famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. And her tears blinded her, and in reaching for the box, she knocked it over. 
The promises showered down around her, on her lap and on the floor. Not one left in the box. At that moment, the Holy Spirit flooded her with divine light and joy as she realized that all of the promises were indeed for her in her greatest hour of need. Lord, are there any promises in here for me? And God, just through his gift of grace, said, yes, and more than you know. Lord, promises in Isaiah 43, listen to these promises. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We need to remember these promises. Sixthly, we receive God's encouragement when we remember that God answers prayer. I'm not sure how many of you really believe that God answers prayer. I think, I think it's easy to assent to that idea because scripture says, oh, God answers prayer. And we're, we're commanded to pray, right? But I'm not sure that we really believe that God answers prayer. Because if we really believe that God answered prayer, I would, I would have a hard time Sunday morning saying, folks, it's time to start worshiping finishing up this prayer over here. Hold on a second. Or in the midst of it, I have a prayer request. Or after worship, we, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting upstairs to the donuts. Why? Because people are crowding around one another to pray for one another. Afterwards, during the week, we would have the city full of prayer requests. We would have text messages constantly flooding our texts our, our inbox and our email boxes because why? We believe that prayer accomplishes something. But rarely, rarely do we really say, can you pray for me? Because I believe that God answers prayer. We have lost people that live up and down this street and all around us. Do we believe that God answers prayer? Do you believe that God answers prayer in your marriage, in your relationships, in your workplace, in your retirement, in your hopelessness? Do you believe that God answers your prayers? If so, do you pray with such an urgency in you? Lord, let your will be done. And I am pleading with you, Lord. These are, these are the cries of my heart. This isn't praying for a Lamborghini or a really nice house or a really big this or really big that. These are the pains of my heart. Lord, would you answer them? And we would spend hours in prayer. We, we see here, the angel told Paul, Behold, the Lord has granted you all those who sail with you. The words, the God has granted you, implies that Paul had prayed not only for himself, but for everyone on the boat. 
everyone on the boat. And God could have saved just Luke and Aristarchus and Paul, but what did he do? He didn't let the others perish. Instead, he graciously granted to Paul the lives of everyone on board. The world never knows. The world never knows the protection that it receives because of the presence and prayers of God's people's prayers. Scripture doesn't tell us how many of those people of the 276 eventually came to saving faith in Christ. But I think, just this gut, that many did because of the prayers of Paul, of Luke, and Aristocharis. Praying for them. So whenever you go through a storm, not only pray that God will deliver you, because that's often what happens, right? I'm in the midst of this storm. God, just get me through this. But also pray that he will grant you the souls of others with whom you are in contact with during the storm. He may be taking you through this storm for the very reason that he wants to use you to bring the gospel to others on board with you. Kind of a new way of looking at your storms, huh? When you're looking at your storms going, crap, why am I going through this? But instead, maybe God is using this storm for the purpose of reaching others that are around you. So maybe it's time to start praying, not just for your needs. But Lord, I'm praying for them, every one of these that I come in contact with as you bring me through this storm. The fact that he graciously answers the prayer for salvation of others should encourage us in the midst of the storm. Lastly, seven, we receive God's encouragement by believing him. By believing him. That's how we receive God's encouragement, by believing him. Paul tells others on board to keep up their courage, and then he adds, for I believe in God. That is exactly as, it'll be exactly as I've been told. I believe in God. How, how, how often in the midst of our storms do you actually say, you know what? This is awful. This is painful. This, this is not what I would have chosen for me, my, my friends, my families, my immediate circle, or the world. But you know what? I believe in God. I believe in him. I believe in his promises. I believe in his care. I was purchased with the blood of his son. I believe in God. I believe in his sovereign care that he is going to carry me through every storm. And even if I die in the midst of it, praise be to God. Do you believe in God? God's promises don't, have, don't do us any good unless we believe him. That he'll do just as he said, in spite of the current overwhelming circumstances. I believe, as the encouraging Hebrews 11 reminds us, it was by faith. It was by faith that the men and women of the past saw God do mighty things on their behalf. It was because of believing in God. When the waves of the storm are breaking over you, we can be encouraged. 
You can be encouraged by believing the one who merely spoke the word and the wind and the seas instantly obeyed. So the first thing we need to understand is that we need to personally receive God's encouragement in the storm. We need to receive God's encouragement. The second thing, having received God's encouragement, the second thing is we need to encourage others to look to God. When we're going through the storm, our natural tendency is to focus in on ourselves, to kind of have this inward focus, kind of look at your belly button. The only thing you can see is your, your belly button. You're wondering what's going on in the belly button. It's like, wow, how that's, and that becomes our Christian focus. It's like, look, what, what's going on in here? Why is that there in the first place, right? It's kind of odd, and it's awkward, and I don't know what to do with it. And that's what happens when we're in the midst of the storm. It's just looking right there. But Paul didn't do that. He didn't keep God's encouragement to himself or just share it with Luke and Aristarchus. He shared it with everyone on board and repeatedly encouraged them to take courage on the basis of God's promise for deliverance. Some of the men on board were condemned prisoners headed to Rome, maybe to die in the arena with lions. They desperately needed Christ. As pagans, if, if they had made it through the storm, they would have praised their, their, their good luck or offered sacrifices to their, to their favorite God. But Paul wanted to make sure that they knew it was the living God who delivered them through the storm. So he made it clear where the source of deliverance came from. So five ways. Here's your 12 points, your last five points. Are you ready? How can we encourage others in the midst of the storm? One, we can encourage others by being with them, actually with them in the storm. That's kind of a novel idea, isn't it? Choosing to jump into the storm with somebody else. Luke and Aristocars were with Paul. They chose to get into Paul's storm. It's crazy. I, I, these were free men. And they were choosing to go into bondage. And not just into bondage. They were choosing to go into jail. And identify themselves with Paul. Who was on his way to be put on a vacation trip. No, he, he, was, he was on his way to be executed. And the three men joined Paul in the midst of his storm. And often God puts his people into a storm for the good of other people. Although Luke and Aristocars probably said much to encourage Paul, none of it was recorded. None of it. You don't, you don't have a word from Luke or Aristocars in the midst of this storm. The only thing regarded, recorded in this section is what? Their presence. Their presence, they were with Paul. And it was no doubt a source of great encouragement. Sometimes we hesitate to visit someone who is going through a difficult trial because we don't know what to say. If there's a death, a loss, a miscarriage, a, a divorce, a, a painful circumstance here or there, 
the thing I often, I'd love to do something, but I don't know what to say. Or to go to a funeral. I, I don't know what to say here. Don't. Just shut up. Be present. Be present. Just go and be there. And, and also kind of remember Job's three friends. If you've ever read the book of Job, these guys did just fine the week that they sat in silence. It was when they opened their mouth that, they, that it was a, a greater mess that they created. Secondly, we can encourage others by praying for them. By praying for them. After Paul's advice not to continue uh, on this voyage had been rejected, he could have easily had his feelings hurt and just said, well, if that's the way they want to be, they deserve to perish. They deserve to die. Serves them right. But he put his feelings aside and prayed that they would all be delivered. All 276 people, even the ones who scoffed at him, he prayed for them. And no doubt these, these sailors were not nice men, not with the greatest moral standards. You know, kind of how merchant marines are, right, John Meskus? They're not always the best, uh, highest standard kind of guys, except for you. Right, no comment. No comment. They probably swore a lot, as, as sailors were notorious for doing. The, the soldiers guarding Paul and the other prisoners showed their, their true colors in the midst of the, the shipwreck, because what did they want to do? Run a sword through them and kill them. But Paul knew that they all needed the Lord, and, and so he prayed for them. Even so, we should pray for people in the world who do not deserve God's grace. Because why? None of us do. Praying for one another. And I'm not just saying, hey, can I pray? What, what can I pray for? Okay, that's a good idea. And then walk away. How often do you do that? You know, you, you'll get a prayer request and you write it in your magical prayer journal in your head that you forget about the second that you walk away from them. How about next time you somebody says, hey, I got a prayer request. And then you say, let's pray. Immediately. Let's, let's pray right now. Can I pray for you on the phone? Because I, I know myself, I know my spirit. If I say I'll pray for you, I'll, I'll forget about it. Even most unbelievers will probably respond favorably if you ask, may I pray for you? Everyone has needs, and even the most hardened unbelievers will more than likely say, well, it can't hurt, right? Can't hurt. So your kindness may, may even open the door to the gospel. And with, with fellow believers who are going through the storm, it will encourage them that you are praying for them. I pray that we will become more of a praying church, that it's just our normal DNA, that we actually believe God, his promises, and we believe that God answers prayer. And so therefore, what are we going to do? We are going to pray and pray hard. Third, we can encourage others by practical ministry to their needs. Paul encouraged these men to do what? To eat some food so that they had strength to swim ashore. It was a practical matter, not directly spiritual, but these men were encouraged by it. Often the most encouraging thing you can do is to take a meal to someone who has been ill. Even if they don't like Mexican, and you didn't know that, bring Mexican. If that's the only thing you know how to make, it will show them that you care for them and that you are thinking about them. You are practically ministering to them even if they don't like Mexican food. Do something. 
Don't just say, hey, if you have needs, just let me know. Because what happens? It will never happen. Unless it's a very desperate case. But if somebody is going through a storm and you just you say, hey, tomorrow I'm, I'm, I'm going to show up. We're, we're going to take your kids for the night. You, you and your, why don't you just go out and have a nice night on your own. Why don't you do a pedicure? Why don't you go out for a beer? Why don't you go out and take a run? Because I know that that's what fills your soul. Why, why don't you just take a break? And I'll, I'll take and care for you in this way or that way. Do something practical. Fourthly, we can encourage others by setting a good example. Paul was literally in the same boat with all these unbelievers. He probably got just as seasick as they did. He had been just as discouraged and just as fearful as they were. But he received encouragement and he openly shared his experience with others. He gave thanks to God for the bread in front of everyone, setting an example. And the others were encouraged to follow. Those of you who have children, and those of you who hope someday to have children, those of you who have a workplace, those of you who are breathing, okay, I think I've included everybody now. The life that you live is an example. It's a testimony to the world. How you walk through this life is a testament of your faith in God. If you have a family, you know, monkey see, <clears throat> monkey do. Your children, the children that we have here, follow our example. As a covenant community, my kids watch you. scary. They watch you. If we panic and fall apart in a storm and start running willy-nilly like a chicken with his head cut off, they learn to do what? The exact same thing. Laura and I have, also have experienced this with our own kids. Mine aren't here. Good. Grace has certain tendencies of fear of what's going on and certain clinging dependencies in which we want them to depend on us, but it's also because of how we have responded in the midst of the storm. If we trust in God and, and share that, they learn to trust him also in the midst of the storms. And lastly, we can encourage others by telling them of God's greatness power to save. God's greatness and power to save. Paul didn't just tell them to keep a, a positive outlook or to, to have faith in faith. He told them that he believed God. He believed God in the promise of deliverance that God had given. He told them about his God. When's the last time maybe this week, that you have actually told somebody about your God and his promises to save. And some of you are going, please don't make me raise my hand. Do 
But we encourage others by telling them of this God's greatness and his power to save. Many in, this, in, these, in the world that we live in have faith that everything will just turn out okay because they're positive, they're optimistic. How many people have you rubbed arms with? Well, I've got a positive mental outlook on things. If I just stay positive and happy, maybe even dope myself up on a little bit of something, everything's going to turn out okay, right? But the reality is, the fact is, if they don't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, everything will not turn out okay. Those who believe in God's Son will have eternal life. But those who do not believe in him, and I know this is not politically correct, they will perish and spend eternity in hell. So it's not enough to encourage people in the storm by telling them that everything will turn out okay. Hey, don't worry, just, just plug along. Look at you, come on. Pat them on the butt and send them on their way. Come on, it's going to be okay. No, no, no. Tell them about our great God and his power to save. Let me tell you, in the midst of your storm, what you need is not just a little bit more positive outlook on this situation. You need Jesus to carry you through this storm and every other storm that you're going to go through. You need him through every hill that you go through, the high times and the low times, and the times are just like this. You need Jesus. Then everything will wash out in the end. Then everything will be okay. You need Jesus. You need to recognize your spiritual brokenness, the sin in your life, that you are living in outward re rebellion against God. But God provided a way through Jesus Christ and him alone, the perfect God-made and perfect man who lived the perfect life, fulfilled all the, the law's requirements on our behalf, died the death that we so desperately deserved that we can live life in Christ. Wholeness, alive, free in Christ, new creations, and new perspective on the world that we are journeying through. We now have a whole new, God views us so differently in the midst of the storm because we have responded in faith to the grace that has been poured out in Jesus Christ, and we have been rescued with a great price, the blood of his son, and we are his precious possessions now. God will carry you through this storm. Do you believe this good news? That's what we need to share. We must tell them about God and his power to save them from their sins through Jesus Christ. So if God used this storm to reveal more of Christ to Paul or to bring any of the men on board to Jesus Christ, this life-threatening ordeal would have been well worth it all. And if God encourages you 
in the midst of your storm, both now or in the present. And if he reveals more of himself to you, uses you to bring someone to Christ or to encourage one of his people, brothers and sisters, it is worth the storm. Because he is going to carry you through it to accomplish his purposes for your holiness, for your further dependence on him, to show you more of Christ and his strength and his power and his love to, to be the one that shares the good news of Jesus to lost and broken people. It is worth it for him to carry you through the storm. So what we're going to do right now because I actually said if we're going to actually believe in prayer, we're actually going to pray. you believe it? So, and I know some of you are already feeling sweaty palms and freaking out because you don't normally pray or pray out loud, and I'm not forcing you to pray out loud. But I want us to actually believe in God and believe that he has the power to save you, to save others, to heal and restore, to reconcile broken parties back to one another, that he will mend broken fences, that he'll build up those old walls for safety and security. I want us to believe that and to actually pray, God, I pray this is your will, that your kingdom come. Imagine what that means. God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's kind of like a reflecting pond. We get a look here and say, oh, that's what it's like, and it's going to be like here. We're praying that we get to experience more of God's fullness here and now. So I know this is going to be a spiritual discipline for some of you. Does anybody have a brief, precise prayer request that needs to be shared without the 20-minute um, dialogue and commentary? 